I'm your host, David Nage. This is Baselayer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto. The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Baselayer podcast series are solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of ARCA, where David Nage is a principal. ARCA is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. Today's show is sponsored by Coinbase Prime, a leading prime brokerage for digital assets. While Coinbase is widely known for its retail business, Coinbase also provides the bridge to the digital asset world for institutional investors, high net worth individuals, financial institutions, and corporate investors. Through their professional trading platform, deep and diversified liquidity, execution expertise, and Coinbase custody, one of the largest and most trusted digital asset custodians, Coinbase Prime is a solution for institutions looking to enter the digital asset markets. For more information, visit prime.coinbase.com. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer. I have Whit Gibbs, the co-founder and CEO at Compass Mining with me today. Whit, how are you? I'm doing great, David. Thanks for having me. A special shout out to family and friends of Base Layer, to Meltem Demures and to Harry Sudak, who both, without them knowing, got me introduced to Compass Mining, where I actually have now participated with them. And there is a very good reason why, because I have always been intrigued about the world of Bitcoin mining, about validating. And I have a little bit of technical knowledge, but I am not capable of doing this fully myself. And I have a feeling there are thousands, maybe millions of you out there who also feel the same way. Compass has created a solution for that, where they can do pretty much all of it for you. Uh, You just tell them where you want it to go. You tell them what type of equipment, depending on obviously what the market has in terms of supply. It was an incredible journey. And now I am proud to say that I am running Bitcoin, very similar to what Hal Finney tweeted out many, many years ago. So Whit, thank you for coming on the show with us today. Would love what we do on the show is typically start with the, the person who's coming on, the guest, the founder, talk a little bit about what they did prior to their current endeavor, what got them interested in this world of Bitcoin. Um, And then we will go into what Compass is doing and we'll talk about some of the narratives out there, especially this narrative that's being put out there by some of the institutions that are writing about Bitcoin now, about how Bitcoin is not good for the environment. So first and foremost, you, what you did prior to that, we'll talk about Compass and we'll talk about all the other good stuff. Awesome. Yeah. Well, you know, thanks again for having me on. And it's good to see you run coin. That tweet was fantastic. Uh, and I'm glad that you're enjoying the experience with Compass so far. You know, prior to Compass and really prior to, to getting into the, the Bitcoin space altogether, I you know, worked as the director of operations for a company called Alliant Payment Systems. And, you know, they were the first company to uh, get the Miami Dolphins to accept Litecoin. They've been pretty instrumental in, uh, in getting a lot of uh, larger companies to start taking crypto as, uh, as payment. Uh, and that was kind of my first exposure to the space. And, you know, leaving Alliant, I, I had some experience with a, a startup called puppyspot.com. And honestly, I drew a lot of the inspiration for the design of Compass from Puppyspot. 
which, you know, we can potentially get into later. Uh, but in leaving Puppy Spot, I, I really just wanted to go all in with, with Bitcoin. It was something that I saw as the, the best opportunity to really make a positive impact on the world. And as an entrepreneur, uh, you know, you're always looking for where is there a problem that can be solved? Um, and I wasn't sure what it was going to be, but I knew I wanted to make my life uh, in this space and, and see you know, where I could you know, build a business and impact society in a positive way. So in 2017, 2018, I went all in, bought the top in 2018, 2017, and then just decided to figure it out as, as I went. In 2018, I started to dive into mining, built my first computer, and then realized there were so many technical barriers that I didn't understand that I better get some advice from people who were smarter than myself. So I started Hashrate Podcast in 2018, used that as an opportunity to network with industry leaders in the mining space and learn from them. Uh, and, you know, over the course of a couple of years, grew that into a, you know, a fairly big um, Bitcoin mining focused podcast. Uh, and, you know, through the course of that podcast, realized that there were a lot of people who wanted to get into mining and just didn't know how, similar to me before starting the podcast. Uh, so I thought, you know, there's if there's enough people that want to do this, there's probably the need for a product or a platform that can help people get started mining, which is where Compass came from. Okay. Right. Yeah. And that was that was a very, uh, you know, it just we hear all the time. Right. You've got to have a lot of money to get into mining. Uh, there's a lot of barriers to entry. And with Compass, our goal is to just make sure that everyone has the ability to mine Bitcoin successfully. Right. I had a feeling you sounded like you had a uh, <laughs> a podcasting voice here, so it sounded it sounded familiar. Um, so again, your mission: Bitcoin first company on a mission to support the decentralized growth of hash rate and strengthen network security by helping more people learn, explore, and mine Bitcoin. There's a lot there. It's only three sentences, um, but effectively. For those that are learning about Bitcoin, and there are thousands, especially institutional investors, family offices out there, and I'm talking to all of them, you know, what is hash rate? Hash rate is the is basically the computing speed at which these machines, these ASICs, are able to create new Bitcoin. So when we we look at hash rate as a as a whole, that's the entire computational power of the Bitcoin network. Mm -hmm. In a more, I guess you can say, non-crypto Bitcoin relative, is there anything that in the world that you can effectively create an analogy to that might, be, might help people kind of visualize that? Yeah, I mean, I think the easiest analogy is just compute. You know, every day we're using apps, we're using you know, Netflix, we're using our computers. They all are running on compute, right? We, mm -hmm. We're looking at that when we're buying computers. Uh, and nowadays we look at that with, you know, the speed at which our phones operate and our TVs operate. Um, it's all basically the same thing. It's just mm -hmm. in the traditional world, compute is used to allow you to watch a TikTok video. Uh, and in Bitcoin, hash rate or the compute associated with the Bitcoin mining servers or ASICs, that's used to power the blockchain, create new blocks, validate and uh, and basically create these rewards for miners. Right. So there's this notion of strengthening the network and decentralizing it. Give us a state of the state of that right now. A lot of people out there who are just starting to scratch the surface and have started to do a little bit of research quickly come to a conclusion that a lot of the network and a lot of the mining is done in China. Please discuss. <laughs> yeah, it's... It's true that there is a, a majority of the hash rate in China, 
right? I, I don't think it's as high as 80% as some people may say. I think it's closer to 60, potentially a little bit north of that. Uh, but the reason that that's the case is because the the supply chain for the ASICs are based in China. So they have a, a closer proximity to the you know the production of these ASICs, which gives them a competitive edge. Uh, but we are seeing that to, to disperse around the country. We're seeing a decentralization of hash rate moving from China into countries like the United States, Canada, Russia, Venezuela, other countries in South America. We're starting to see uh, more countries have a desire to get more hash rate within their borders, um, which is strengthening the network through decentralization. And it's you know hedging the geopolitical risk of, of not having the majority of Bitcoin's network hash rate all within uh, one country's borders. Uh, you know, for us as a company, decentralization is great. It's very important for uh, for the network to be decentralized. However, as long as it's still controlled by, you know, a dozen, two dozen large institutional players, is it really decentralized? I mean, it's still just being held by, you know, a few dozen decision makers. And in our mind, that's not really the most secure uh, what we look to do is democratize hash rate, give everyone the ability to mine Bitcoin, because we think that the the strongest and most secure network is one in which there's a million people running one ASIC rather than you know two dozen people running a million ASICs. Right. Talk to us about the relationship between hash rate. So again, this notion of compute. So if more people come on, and like myself, there are more of me out there who say, okay. I really want to participate in this. I want to, you know, mine. I want to be a pro part of this process because obviously there are rewards. Again, for those that are not familiar, you buy one of these ASICs, one of these machines, you become part of the network. And for the work that that machine and the energy that you are effectively consuming, you then get rewarded when you solve a very complex cryptographic puzzle. And we call that difficulty. Discuss the relationship between hash rate and difficulty. If there is more hash rate, does difficulty go up? And does that make it more complex for everyone else? It does. And the easiest way to think of it is, you know, the more people that are doing one task, the more competitive it is. So therefore, the you know, there's more people that are fighting over the same slice of pie. You know, every 10 minutes or so, there's 6.25 Bitcoin created uh, per block, which is paid out to miners. As more of these ASICs come on the network, that increases the hash rate, which increases the, the difficulty, uh, which, you know, it just further incentivizes people to continue to increase their own personal hash rate so they can, you know, maintain or grow their profitability. Right. And there's a reason why I'm alluding to this, and it's important, not because to say it's very complex and very hard to do this. And I'm saying this because if you want to do it, you got to start taking a look at it now. Because as more and more people start to do it, it's going to get more complex, hypothetically. But if you want to do this, this is something you need to start evaluating now over the next six to 12 months. Again, I'm not an investor in Compass. I am you know, not going to try to push anyone to this. But you know, if you want to start really kind of taking a look at this, you know, the idea is that you want to do it now versus wait another year or two because it's going to have more and more people coming onto the network. You know, Compass is democratizing this and, you know, things are going to get a little bit more difficult. And so if you want to, and correct me if I'm wrong, Wit, if you want to do it, now is a really good time to start reviewing that. I mean, I think the the one truth with Bitcoin is the earlier you are, the better 
off you will be, right? Whether it's holding Bitcoin, buying and accumulating, whether it's mining, uh, early adopters always end up reaping the, the biggest rewards. And that's true with mining as well. Uh, the one thing that I would say, though, is that, you know, getting getting started and the timing of getting started is very important. But as time progresses, I think the importance of having your own mining hardware and running your own mining hardware uh, is is important for security reasons more so than the you know the return on that initial investment. While yes, you want to make sure that the money you're investing in mining equipment is going to be returned to you and you're going to break even and then you know be profitable. There's going to come a time when you know if I'm a fund or a family office and I've got you know one to fifty million dollars of Bitcoin exposure, then it's also going to make sense for me to have exposure to mining uh, so that I can secure the network and I can make sure that the the holdings that I have are, you know, are going to be secure and, and hedged against any p- potential geopolitical risk right. uh, by my running mining infrastructure of my own. Right. And I also like to think of it this way is that Bitcoin, you know, there's different modicons for people thinking about Bitcoin as a replacement to gold, as a global store of wealth. Think of it as a global store of wealth in this particular mental model. You are effectively taking a little bit of ownership of the world's largest global store of wealth or the large, the world's largest bank. It's not a bank. It's not owned by anybody. It's non, you know, it's non-sovereign owned, but it's a world's potentially the world's largest bank. And by mining, you're kind of owning a piece of that. Would you agree with that analogy? Yeah, absolutely. And the Bitcoin mining network is the most powerful network in the world right now. There, there's no more powerful computational network out there. Uh, so getting some exposure to mining gives you a piece of that very powerful network. Right. So let's talk about how things happen here. So obviously I went through the setup, but for people to understand, again, it's pretty darn easy to do. Um, and so talk to us about the equipment. So you have to go, obviously you have to get equipment and then you have certain selection uh, selected areas around the world uh, that you can effectively send that equipment to. Uh, and there are different variables with energy there. Just talk to us about kind of how someone gets set up and kind of going through those decisions. Sure. On the back end, the one thing that we do is we want to make sure that we take all of the the due diligence, the vetting and verification of the vendors, that supply side, uh, out of the equation for new miners who want to get started. I mean, if you're coming into the space and you want to get started mining, there are enough complexities with just figuring out which machine you'd like to buy and where you want to host it without worrying about, okay, what are the business licenses like for this facility? How are their customers? Are they happy? What's the uptime? So on Compass's side, we take care of all of that. Our team is very knowledgeable of mining. Uh, so we get in there and we find the best distributors, the best facilities, and those are the only ones that are allowed to offer their products and services through the site. And then if you're a new miner coming in and you want to get started, much like you were a couple of weeks ago, it can all be done directly through the website. You go on, we put together these buy and host bundles, which make it very simple for you to get started. Basically, you buy an ASIC. Uh, that ASIC will go to a facility. It's attached to a 12-month hosting contract. Uh, and then, you know, at the end of that 12-month contract, if you want to continue at that facility, fantastic. If you don't, it's your ASIC. You can recall it to your house. You can have it sent to another facility you're choosing, whatever the case may be. We, we put the power entirely in the miner's hands, as it should be. 
Um, when it comes to the setup of the machines themselves, maybe you're familiar with mining pools, maybe you're not. Our team will help you get your mining pool set up, will help you connect your wallet. Uh, and then that's it. Once that's done, you are mining. You simply pay your monthly power bill and all the Bitcoin goes directly to your wallet. So let's talk about those pools. That's something that a lot of people don't understand. So while obviously those that are listening here might have different backgrounds with this, mean pools and pools of those you know out there, they may not know that. What is a pool? What is its purpose? Right. So pools help to aggregate hash rate to win block rewards on a more frequent basis is the simplest way to think of it. You're pooling your hash rate with others who are also mining, and then you're uh, working together to solve these uh, these complex equations, for lack of a better way of putting it, and and then you know as you solve those, that you win you win the block rewards, the six point two five Bitcoin, and you split that amongst the pool participants. So there are a few different types of pools. Uh, most of them are based in China. A lot of the top pools are based in China. We're seeing an emergence of of more U.S. based pools, um, but basically you're just joining one, aggregating your hash rate, and then you're getting paid out based on the hash rate that you're contributing to the pool itself. Very good explanation. So I would love to delve into some of these narratives that have been popping up lately. As we've seen more eyeballs on Bitcoin, there are those that are talking about its features. As as I alluded to, a lot of it is uh, localized in China. I would love to hear about what's happening in Texas and some places here around the United States. Um, There has been... I would say a substantial build out in some locations here. And then over the last few weeks, there was a video that showed or tried to allude to that Bitcoin mining is associated with, you know, kind of dirty energy. But, you know, if you look at some of the statistical data that's come out over the last year and a half or so, especially from coin shares, where they show a propensity for Bitcoin mining associated with renewable energy. Talk about that. So one, again, kind of hitting on this kind of feature of geolocation, where are we starting to see more kind of co-locations, more uh, facilities popping up here in the United States, and where is that happening? And then two, this notion that Bitcoin really won't kill the planet. I'm really glad that we get to talk about this. I feel like it's the low-hanging fruit that Bitcoin detractors first look to attack. Because, I mean, let's face it, we all want a clean environment. We all, uh, you know, whether you believe in global warming or not, we all know that that is a, that's a real concern that we need to focus on. So I think that, you know, these attacks on Bitcoin as, you know, boiling the ocean or destroying the environment, I think it's really just attack an attack on non-state money, right? Nick Carter said it best when he said that that was the case. And it really is. It's just people who are anti-Bitcoin that look to, you know, find any kind of chink in the armor that they can then, you know, further, uh, you know, further dig into and, and try to, you know, create FUD or um, problems for, for Bitcoin as an asset class. In reality, Bitcoin miners are always going to be looking for the cheapest, most constant source of power. And that is, it's coming from renewables. You know, it's fossil fuels. Uh, for all that they are, they're expensive. And they require, uh, they require a, a continuous expense in order to keep that power source going. Where if you look at like hydro, Right. If you build a facility that's next to a hydro dam, that water is going to keep flowing through. That power is going to keep coming. And right now it's it's an inexpensive way to go. So, you know, Bitcoin miners are always going to look for the cheapest source of power. 
And fortunately now, more and more of those are from renewable sources. Uh, and then you also have people like Steve Barber at Upstream Data and Chase Lockmiller at um, Crusoe who are you know, taking trapped gas and instead of that being flared and damaging the environment in that way, they simply, you know, to simplify this, they funnel it through a Bitcoin mining data center and create Bitcoin and uh, the off-put off is much safer for the environment than the flared gas would be. The the real fact of the matter is that Bitcoin miners are actually a positive for the environment. It's just, you know, who's going to take the time to do the proper research to see that? I I look forward to, you know, over the course of the next couple of months, being able to put out more and more research that's going to shed positive light on this. Um, but, you know, conversations like this are very important. I agree. And, you know, it's... Again, it's a matter of just being so close to it and understanding where, and again, you of all people, you were running a, a company that effectively works around the world to find, you know, those locations that have that cheap energy, that have the the locations that would support, you know, Bitcoin mining. And your, your example, Crusoe, is perfect with, you know, with the flare gas. So, you know, again... One of the other things that always continues to be on people's minds that for some reason detracts them is this kind of where is majority of it located? Obviously, we alluded to that a lot of the activity has happened in China. But over the last year or two, I say especially, we have seen more energy, not just, you know, obviously kilowatts per hour, but more energy and focus towards here in the United States. And there have been several locations, um, you know, obviously, as I alluded to, Texas as being one of them, but other locations around the country, I think Oklahoma and some others. Talk to us about what's happening here. What kind of a renaissance is happening here in terms of getting people to mine Bitcoin in the United States? You know, COVID has created a lot of opportunities for Bitcoin miners who are creative. There are a lot of factories who are not operating at full capacity. They have excess power. Um, there are a lot of power generators who are, of course, not able to sell as much power as they used to. So this creates a, a fertile environment, if you will, for more Bitcoin mining facilities to, to pop up. Uh, Texas, especially West Texas and the, the Midland area, uh, there are a lot of mining facilities there tapping into the ERCOT grid um, and the natural gas that's that's available. You have the same going on in the Bakken, but to a smaller extent, which is in the Dakotas. Um, you've got facilities that have been in existence for a while in the Pacific Northwest, Oregon, Washington, also into Montana, um, upstate New York. There's a couple of large facilities. And then we're seeing uh, a growth in the Midwest and also in the you know northeast corner of Georgia and then the Carolinas, we're starting to see pockets of mining facilities develop. Obviously, Core Scientific, which is a, a massive hosting and co-location space, they have an operation in Georgia. Um, so, you know, the United States overall, there are areas in almost every region that are popping up. And it's it's great. I mean, these spaces, as fast as they're getting built, they're getting filled. If you've got a good facility and you're able to provide great service, there are tons of people who are interested in getting getting into mining, and these spaces are filling up as fast as they're getting uh, they're getting made available. That's really great to hear. So as we're wrapping up, we'd would love for people to find a way to get in touch with you all. You're incredibly responsive, I have to say. You know, in this day and age, I dare I hate to say call it customer service, but your responsiveness to those that are interested in this is incredibly impressive. 
So where can people find out more about what you guys are doing there? And then obviously anywhere, any person that you would want them to reach out to if they have questions or if they want to get started. You know, the easiest way to find us is at our website. It's compassmining.io. You can also jump into our Telegram chat to access our entire team. Uh, if anyone wants to, you know, DM and ask questions, I am always available. My Twitter handle is at Bitcoin Broski. Shoot me a DM and I will help you however I can. I want nothing more than to help more people get started mining and our entire team is committed to the same. So uh, we look forward to helping as many people as we can get started. Awesome. This was Whit Gibbs at Compass Mining. Again, this is not me saying do this, but I went through this process a few weeks ago because, again, I thought it was time after years of evaluating the space. I wanted to be a part of it, and I thoroughly enjoyed uh, the whole process. It was pain-free. I had to basically do nothing but just respond to some messages from Whit and his team, and now I am running Bitcoin. So, Whit, thank you for coming on. Hopefully, we can have you on again maybe towards the end of the year, see how things are progressing. But everyone, go check out Compass, and uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Take care. Thanks so much, David. Thanks for listening in to Baselayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage. And let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.